All right. Well, this morning we're going to Psalm 24. What happened two weeks ago, I started the uh, service with ten pages of notes, only got through six. So I thought, I can't let these other four pages go. So I brought them back. And we're going to finish the last, our last sermon together from two weeks ago. And an awful lot has happened in the last two weeks. Graduations. Hospital stays. I've, dri- I've driven more miles than I even know. But the Lord has been so good to us. So we're going to talk about our great God again here today in Psalm 24. I'd just like to start by reading the psalm and refresh our thinking in that and we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll dive right in. It says, Psalm 24, 1, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters or the rivers. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Selah. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. Lord, as we take the time again this morning to spend in this portion of your word. We have much to learn. You are a great teacher, and we sit at your feet today and ask that you might instruct us in your word. Show us again who you are, who we are in light of that, and how gracious you've been toward us. There's much for us to learn, but we've come to the right place. So I, I look forward to what you will teach us today, Lord, and how you will change us. Thank you for your word. The privilege to gather around it right now to enjoy what you're doing in our midst. We give you the praise for that too, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, our focus here is primarily in verse number 5, which I hardly even touched Last time we were together, that was the goal, was to get to chapter number 5 and to talk about what the Lord had done. And what I ended up doing is giving you all the background material to set you up for verse number 5. And uh, that was in the topic of God's grace. It is a great thing to talk about His grace. In this context of Psalm 24, the question is, who is this King of glory? And that is one question that we seek to answer. And this passage does very well. The first uh, seven, seven verses, six verses, speak about what he has done. And these things tell us he is great. The greatness of our Lord is, is explained to us in the first two verses in the fact that his, he owns this world. He created this world. 
And there is much about this world, just look at all that it contains. Look at those who dwell in it. Look at how it is established, how he created it and founded it. And you're amazed at the greatness of our God. We're not going back over that route this morning. It would consume our whole time again. But uh, he is great in his work of creation and ownership of this world. We live in a world that belongs to him. That's important for us to understand. Second thing we notice is the greatness of his work. And that was focused primarily in verse 3 and 4. And that speaks a, a, a question to us. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? If he is great, if he is holy, and he is, if he's pure and righteous, if he's mighty and powerful, which he is, who are we that we can stand before him? Who are we that we can ascend before his place? It gives us the qualifications. We studied this the last couple of times together. How did we do? Did we measure up? It spoke of those who had clean hands. It spoke of those who had a pure heart. It spoke of those who have not lifted up their soul to falsehood. They have not sworn deceitfully. That's only four qualifications in this passage. Ah, four. That's easy, right? Did you even get one of them, right? 25%. Is that good? If it's a batting average, maybe, 250, we'll keep him on the team. What does God expect of us? Try 100%. Does he expect us to be holy? Has he ever said, be ye holy as I am holy? Have you ever been arrested by that verse? I mean arrested, stopped in your tracks to realize that he has a high expectation. Be ye holy as I am holy. You'll find it in First Peter. You'll find it in a lot of places, matter of fact. How are we doing? Well, if it's based on you and me, it, it looks rather hopeless, doesn't it? How can we ascend before a holy God when we're not holy? How can we do that? This is the greatness of His work. I'm going to underscore that often in these passages. It's His work. He is the one who has made the difference. But we cannot. We cannot. We cannot make up this ground that we have lost in that we are sinful people. We don't have clean hands. We don't have a pure heart. We have lifted up our soul to falsehood. We have sworn deceitfully. How could we stand before Him? You see what God's great work was? He sent His Son. What we could not do, He did. When we could not keep the law, He kept the law. When we cannot die for sin, matter of fact, here's a part, part that we don't quite understand, I think. When it says the wages of sin is death, that concept of death is eternal. Do you understand what that is? That means if we should die to pay for our sins, eternity will not cover it all. That means it never gets paid if it's up to you and me. Jesus Christ paid for it, didn't he? 
you realize how awesome the work of the cross is? That he should pay for our sins on that cross? That he should die the death that we deserved? That he should do that for us? We talked about that several weeks ago. That's a great work. But what I love especially in this passage is that he gives it to us. How do I know that? Verse number 5. This is the one who can't even walk before him. He shall receive. You see those three words? He shall receive. That's not earning, is it? That's not working. That's not somehow manipulating. That is receiving. That's why I choose the word grace here. The grace of our God. That we should receive. That I should receive anything from Him. Is amazing. For if we really looked at the sinfulness of mankind, a holy God should actually just smash us like you'd smash a bug. You know, it's not that He has passed over that wrath. He smashed His Son in our stead. Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to crush Him. He did that for us. So today we talk about His grace. Grace is not something that's cheap, but it is something that's free. And we have received it. This individual in verse number 5, this is the one who wants to ascend before the hill of the Lord. He cannot do it on his own. But he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the greatness of his grace. Notice the, the description in verse number 5 of what he receives. There's two things here. And it's pretty simplistic just to say he receives a blessing from the Lord. He receives righteousness from the God of his salvation. We, we say that, matter of fact, we, we say it rather matter of fact like, don't we? The Lord's blessed me. How many times do you say that in a week? Somebody say, how are you doing? Ah, the Lord's blessed me. You know, cliche sometimes. I have a friend who would say, you know, bless your little heart. You know, and things like that. It, it, they, they would use it sometimes as a, 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 a greeting or sometimes just as a good-natured bit of fun. Bless your little heart. You know, things like that. But uh, what is a blessing? What is a blessing from the Lord? I want to walk this path with you for a few minutes and look at what God has done for us. If we pulled out the, the Hebrew word for this, you're looking at a benefit. You're looking at a gift. It's a gift. A blessing is a gift. But what's interesting in this Hebrew word is that you, you take the ending off of it and it's just a, a five little word, uh, B-A-R-A-K. That's what's left. If you take off the ending, which is another A-H. And B-A-R-A-K, Barak, means to kneel. Here's an image in my mind. You come before this great king. He intends to confer upon you some honor. Perhaps he's going to knight you. What position do you find that one, that recipient in, before that king? Standing up, right? Buttons popping. 
Right? No? He's kneeling. He's kneeling because he's before someone greater than he is. And that greater individual is condescending to him. Granting him something. Giving him something. It's the picture of honor to bless. And what's interesting in the Hebrew concept is simply the concept of kneeling as part of the picture of a blessing. I consider that a reminder when I think of it. For his blessing to us is far from deserved. Matter of fact, deserved doesn't even fit in the, in the statement, does it? That he should look upon us and bless us. Now, we've already walked through Ephesians chapter 1. Now, unless we have another 26 weeks, we want to walk through that again. It started with the fact that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. What did he leave out? Nothing. He has blessed us. Blessed us so thoroughly. And when we study that passage, when did he come up with that idea? After we impressed him? After we've done some great deed for him? After he looked upon us and saw our great wisdom? Our wonderful looks? Our super personality? You remember? It was even before the world was created. That means we did nothing to influence it. Nothing. And even to this day, what can we do to influence his blessing? How could we have earned it? How could we have ascended before his throne? Well, we can't. That's the reality. So we come before him on our knees. Matter of fact, probably on our face is a better route. We stand before a holy God. And down we go. And yet he looks upon us with favor. Does that stun you? He looks upon us with favor. He blesses us. That's the word here. That there's a concept of one who kneels before the other. And the one has that power. That, that power to, to confer upon him the blessing. To endure him with, with success or with prosperity or longevity or whatever the, the promise would be. This is from a father to a son. Or from a king to its subject. This is from our God to you, to me. He should bless us. Even the Hebrew concept of, of this blessing that God gives has something to do with life. You ever study the Hebrew concept of, of blessing? Life is woven into it. Blessing to them is, is not just that I have a long life or I am prosperous or I am successful, but also that I have children. He has blessed me with children and especially blessed me with sons. You know that, that big desire woven all the way through the Old Testament, the desire for sons, because that was a sign that God was going to let your family live on. That was a picture of blessing to them. That the family should go on, and the family should go on, and family should go on. And so, the Hebrew concept of blessing has everything to do with life to them. Now notice in this passage, He shall receive a blessing from the Lord. He can't ascend. 
He can't stand. He doesn't have clean hands. He's lifted up his soul to falsehood. He does not have a pure heart. He is sworn deceitfully. And God can look down on that person by grace and bless them. You know what? I think of our God. I think of His power to create. I think of His power to show His His works, His His greatness in the giving of His law. Never underestimate the law. The law is a glorious thing. It's a statement of what is right, what is true, and it's perfect. Read Psalm 119. They'll tell you so many times the law is perfect. Absolutely perfect. It's a glorious thing. It's written by our God. And with all the powerful displays of who He is, what's more powerful than the fact that He forgives? That He loves us. That He gives us grace. That's His blessing. His blessing. Undeserved. Completely undeserved. In this picture, we're on our knees before Him. That's our great God who does it. Here's another concept that goes with it. If I flip this context of Psalm 24 from the Hebrew to the Greek words, because I like to do that, uh, in the Septuagint they use the word uh, that we use for eulogy. You've heard that word many times. Most of the time we think of that as a negative concept, don't we? Because it's associated with funerals. But what is a eulogy? It's basically good words, you say. That's, a, that's part of the reason we put it in that. We want to say something nice about that person who's passed away. But we say good words, good words. This is a word used from God to us. Did you hear it? These are the words of God toward us. Good words. Good words. I stop and listen to that again, and I, I say, how, how He has blessed us. He knows us, doesn't He? He knows us inside and out, doesn't He? What is there about you that He does not know? And yet He says good words. Good words. I think I would be intimidated. Just the fact that if I went before somebody who knew everything about me, and he was going to announce to the world the character, the person that is before him, would you be nervous? If it was you, who they were going to announce before the world and say something about you? And God, who knows everything, chooses to say good words. Amazing. That's the word we have before. This is what it says. God says good things to us. And the reason He can do that is because of His Son. He says good things to us because of what He has done. And so when we bless Him, we only bless because He first blessed us. That's our response. Now, I see that and I say, that's grace, isn't it? That's grace. And that's only half of the picture here. 
Look at the other half on verse 5. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. As if the blessing wasn't enough. He shall receive righteousness, it says. Righteousness. What is that? Let's make it simple for us this morning, okay? Let's make it simple. Theological terms we've gotten very used to. Words we say all the time. Let's define them here. Grace. I've been talking about it all morning. What is it? Undeserved favor. Anyone else have something to add? Aha, he took the first letter all the way through. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a beautiful phrase. G-R-A-C-E. Yes, that's grace. God giving me something I do not deserve. Right? That's grace. We use that term. If we're going to use it, let's define it. Let's understand it. Does Scripture tell us what grace is? Oh, yes. Over and over and over and over again. We use it for that expression. Are we going to say grace before we eat? Sometimes that's the only time it might be mentioned. But we understand it in the pulpit. We understand it in the Sunday school room. We understand it in the scripture. It's God's gift to us. Matter of fact, the word grace is related to gift in the Greek tongue. They have the same definition. They come from the same words. That's the word for grace. We like that word. How about mercy? What is that? Not getting something we deserve. We just flipped it upside down, didn't we? Grace is getting something we don't deserve. Mercy. Not getting something we do deserve. Growing up, how many times did you understand mercy? Uh-huh. Let's not go down that road. Okay. Mercy. We live by mercy. We understand mercy. We like mercy. Don't we? Of all things, we especially like mercy. Because mercy is, oh, I'm about to get it. And I don't. It's mercy. There's relief there, isn't there? There's a sense of, you know, that's a great thing. We like mercy. We use it all the time. Even as kids, we grab somebody by the arm and twist it behind their back until they yell, Mercy! Because we like that word so much, right? Mercy. We use that word often. Let me ask you another word that we use often. Forgiveness. What is that? Forgiveness. You're, you, you know what it is. You like it too, don't you? If you receive that. I find it funny. We are more willing to receive forgiveness than give it sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? 
My picture of this, I often say, is how we, we receive from God a dump truck full of His mercy, and we dish it out with little teaspoons. Forgiveness is much like that. We know what forgiveness is, but what does Scripture call forgiveness? Even the Greek word for forgiveness is to send it away. In the thesaurus, it uses the word freedom. But it means to send it away. And we've talked about that before in Scripture. How far does God send it away? East from the west, depths of the sea, behind his back, he forgets it. All kinds of great words we use for forgiveness. Do we like that term? Oh, we love that term. So I've given you three this morning. Just simple concepts we work with. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. Words that are in our conversation all the time. We love these words. Let me add one more to you. Blamelessness. 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 Do we have that too? We have mercy, we have grace, we have forgiveness. What about this? Being blameless, blameless before our God. Let me show you a passage, alright? Keep your place here. But go over to Titus for a minute. I want to show you a great passage. Titus chapter 3. Hebrews, before Hebrews, you've gone that far. If you find Philemon, it's before that. Titus chapter 3. Thessalonians, Timothy, those passages are before it. There's Titus. Titus 3, go down to, uh, let's see, let's pick a good verse. Um, verse 4 is a good place to start. No, let's go to 3. I like 3 too. Verse 3, Titus 3, 3. For we were also once foolish ourselves. That's not a great way to start this topic, is it? <laughs> we were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Not a pretty picture. But when the kindness of our God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of the deeds which we have done in righteousness. Notes that word. Not on the basis of the deeds that we have done in righteousness. Hold that word, righteousness. But according to His, here we go, mercy, and by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Put the word forgiveness right there for a second whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, there's that other word, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now this is a nutshell of what he has done for us. We saw our, our original picture in verse 3, but the work of God is described in verse 4 through 7. And notice that grace, mercy, forgiveness are all woven into that passage. It's necessary that it be that way. It's necessary because when we try to fulfill 
His righteousness by our deeds, we can't do it. It's not by our deeds of righteousness. Where does righteousness need to come from then? If we're going to have it. Where must it come from? Him. We don't have it, do we? We can't do it, can we? When we were looking at this passage here in Psalm 24, what did he give us? It says, he shall receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. Righteousness is a gift from God. Do you see it? Because we don't have it. Isaiah said it so well. Our righteousness amounts to a filthy rag. Not a pretty thing. But here's what's great about this passage. Let me go to you uh, to a passage in, in Matthew chapter 5 first. Chapter 5 verse 20. Here are the, the uh, disciples. Now it's about a, almost 900 years later. That passage has already been written in Psalm 24. Alright? So it's pretty clear. Where do you find righteousness? Comes from God. God has made that point, hasn't he? It's already recorded in his word. So here's the disciples living in a time where righteousness was what you wore. Righteousness was the length of your gown and the number of bells that might be tied to the bottom of them and the long sashes and all the long ribbons and, and things. They probably all look like they just graduated with honors. They've got all their, their, their medals on their chest. They parade around as righteous individuals. They have the look on their face even. Jesus made mention of that, didn't he? That even the, the righteous Pharisees had a way of putting on the makeup, if you will, to make them look righteous yet gloomy at the same time. Wonderful people to have had relatives of, huh? But these folks, they paraded their righteousness before man, constantly doing that. Jesus spoke to that in several places. This is what he said in Matthew 5.20, and it had to have shocked the disciples to hear this verse. For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Could you imagine hearing that when you thought that the Pharisees and the scribes and all these others in their righteous way were the only ones who could ever attain heaven? They had this, this pecking order, if you will, of righteous people, and these were the ones near the top. Of course, if they were wealthy, they were at the very top. But they looked at these people and they looked up, and the average carpenter, the average fisherman, the average tax collector could never amount to that. Never amount to that. And then Jesus stuns them with such a phrase. Unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So what's that say about their righteousness? They weren't going either. What a stunner. Then look at this. Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Someone came to him once and said, Teacher, 
Now this someone, by the way, is described in the book of Luke as a ruler of the synagogue. I don't know what you have to be to be a ruler of the synagogue. He's in charge of the synagogue. By the way, he was wealthy too. How all that worked together, I'm not sure. But he was a wealthy ruler, and he ruled over the synagogue. Does that sound like he's religious? He's in charge of what we would say the church. Does that sound religious to you? He's a ruler in that. He's done well. He's, he's wealthy. But that's who he's described in the book of Luke. So in Matthew, he doesn't even bring up those points. He just says someone. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Well, this man, he's kind of stood up tall all of a sudden. Because he was a religious man, of course, and he was a ruler of a synagogue and all that stuff. And when you say, keep the commandments, well, that's right down his road. So he says, okay, which ones? It's kind of like a test that you know you're going to ace, right? Oh, just try me on any one of the points. Give me one, give me one. And Jesus says, okay, try this. Do not commit murder. Good, I'm good. Do not commit adultery. I'm good. You shall not steal. I'm good at that. You shall not bear false witness. I'm good at that. Honor your father and your mother. <laughs> yeah, I'm good at that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, I'm pretty good at that too. Because the man said to him, All these things I've kept. And yet he knew he was still lacking. What am I lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come... Follow me. And the young man heard the statement. He went away grieving, for he, had, he was one who owned much property. You say, okay, here's an interesting stipulation. Why did Jesus say that? What if he went and sold everything? Would that make him right? No. Because it wasn't a matter of just selling everything. It was the rest of it. Well, what else was he to do? Follow him, Right? This man has his eyes on his things, not on Christ. It was revealed in that simple statement. So the man walked away grieved. The disciples are scratching their heads by this time. You've got to see it, right? They're like, what just happened here? This is the, the ruler of our synagogue, and you just eliminated him from even having eternal life. And they're wondering, what? So this is what they said. The disciples heard this. They were very astonished and said, Who then can be saved? If this man's not in, nobody's in. Jesus looking at them said, With people this is impossible. With people this is impossible. Do you hear it? It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. But with God, all things are all right, so where does righteousness come from? Him. Only Him. We don't have it. We can't make it. We can't measure up. But He can give it. Because He possesses it. You see how great He is? That He should look down upon us and give us this righteousness. For that's what it says. He gives it. 
He gives it. All these others were trying to earn it. What can I do? What can I do? I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. They've gone through the checklist, but they still don't have it. Because the checklist won't get you there. Only God gives righteousness. Let me show you what it looks like in this picture. Basically, to be righteous means you have a right standing before God. It means to be right. To be right before God. And we can't do that, but He can. Matter of fact, He has done it. He has done it. And we receive righteousness from Him. That's why I added that word blameless to our list. When I asked you, do you have grace? Do you have mercy? Do you have forgiveness? I added that word blameless, didn't I? Because most of the time we, we accept the grace, we accept the forgiveness, we accept the mercy. But do we know what God has done? Do we know what He has done? Like Jude says, I love these verses in the book of Jude, verse 24. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand... In His presence, the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. Who is able to do that? He is. That's essential for us to understand. Matter of fact, you take all theology and bring it down to a simple phrase. He is able. That's the essence of it all. Because theology is the study of God. He is able. That's how we can stand before Him. Not by our doing. Not by what we've done. It's a gift from Him. That's the greatness of His grace. Notice what He's given to you. As it's described in that psalm there. He has given a blessing. That man has received it. He has given righteousness that man has received it do you know how you stand before a holy God right now do you know you stand before a holy God by the grace of that God by the work of that God by the greatness of that God by his mercy by his forgiveness by his kindness he has saved you and you stand blameless before him is that powerful Now I ask, who can ascend before this God? Who can stand in the presence of this God? One who has received His grace. Is that you? Is that you? For by grace you are saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not a works, so no one can boast. This is the word that we have looked at here today. What God has done. What, what, what man cannot do, God has done. That's why, in that whole passage, the question is, Who is this King of glory? What other king could do this for you? What other king has done it for you? Our king has. So I love the picture that the psalmist has set before us here. I don't think we should read these words in a gloomy way. What do you think? 
He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Do you know him? Is he your king today? Let's talk to him. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning so thankful. Even that's an understatement, I'm sure. If our hearts are now pulsating to the truth of your word, we are overwhelmed with what you have done. And the greatness of our God that you should look upon us even while we were yet sinners, and love us, and send your Son to die for us, that you might make us new, that you might make us whole, that you might give us forgiveness and grace and mercy and eternal life. We have the promise that we will dwell eternally with you. We will stand in your presence. We will be able to give pure praise before that throne all because of what Jesus has done thank you for this great grace thank you for what you have given to us we are grateful recipients today and may it show in the way that we live when we go from this place Maybe, Lord, there are some who have things that need to be dealt with in their lives. They've held on to sins or, or they've felt the shame of them all. They've held on to that a long time. Lord, show us that we can leave that at the cross today. Walk away in what you have made us to be. Forgiven people. Blameless people. Mercy-filled grace receiving people. Thank you for what you have done. Maybe some of us have looked with pride down upon other people. We have seen them and we have measured ourselves to them. We have thought ourselves higher than them. We have thought ourselves to be in a better position in your grace than others. Lord, you know how dangerous pride is, and it's something you abhorred. But sometimes that also works its way into our hearts when we read of such passages and we think somehow, somehow we've added a measure of receiving this by deserving it. Or that we have started to look upon ourselves like that man in Scripture who thought himself strong and powerful in your presence, and next to him was a sinful man beating on his chest. Lord, if there's pride in our hearts, please take us back to that cross. Show us that in receiving we have knelt before you. It's not our pride. It's not our position. It's nothing about us that we stand before the cross and say we deserve your grace. But show us the humility in this too. There's all different kinds of ways you work in our hearts. And I'm thankful that you are God. 
where there's nothing in this room that is outside your ability, nothing outside your attention, nothing outside the great work that you're doing in our midst, for you have promised for everyone who knows Christ, they shall be conformed to the image of Christ. There will be no mistake there. We thank you for your constant work in our hearts. And as we study again and we look again at what you have given to us, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.